0: I grew up in church, okay, my, my parents, my dad was a youth pastor for a long time at a church, and we've just always been at church, and um, I've been to every church camp, you know, I've been to every summer camp, I've been to every VBS, you know, I mean, I'm, that was just like the way that I grew up, and we used to sing this song in, in church, and if, you're, and if you're new to church, I understand this is going to sound super weird, and it's going to sound like a cult here in a second because, because some of you grew up in church like me and you sang this song too that we used to sing. Um, and it, uh, it goes like this. It goes, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Yeah, some of you know it. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison door, sets the captives free. Come on. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, a well. Okay, there we go. You got the splish splash. See, when we would do it, it would be like splish splash, you know. And then, uh, and then, you know, we, there's all sorts of versions too. There's cowboy version. You know, I got a river alive, you know. And then it's like yeehaw. And then there's robot version. And there's. Uh, There's opera version, you know. There's all sorts of versions, Um, and that song, you know, I've got a river of life like flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, splish splash. Um, That comes essentially, really, from the the scripture that we're gonna read this morning. Um, It's a very, very famous passage of scripture where Jesus has a conversation with a woman, and uh, and he talks to her. Whoa, he talks to her about this thing called living water. I'm so excited. I've been, I've, I mean, growing up in church, I've read this and heard talks on this on this particular passage from John chapter 4 where Jesus talks to, it's it's commonly known as, as the woman at the well. Jesus talks to this woman at the well. Um, uh, as I said last week, you know, last week and, and this week, they really go together because last week we talked about Nicodemus is John chapter 3, and then this week is John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. They're usually preached separately, but really they should be preached together. So this is kind of like part two from last week. And if and just to get everybody caught up at our church this year, this is new for me uh, as as a Christ follower and maybe new for many of you, but we're following this sort of season in the church calendar and we're in, right in the middle of Lent right now. And Lent is these 40 days that lead us up to Easter Sunday, and there's this graphic here that I've I've put up in the past, just so you can see like sort of all these different church thing, calendar stuff that happens at Christmas time. We celebrate Advent, and there's this season called Epiphany that leads us to the beginning of Lent, and Lent gets kicked off on Ash Wednesday, and then that's leading us up to Holy Week. It's going to start off with Palm Sunday, and then there's good, then there's Monday Thursday. That's a new one maybe for some of you. I'll explain it when we get there. Um, good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, and then there's Pentecost, and then there's some other. The, there's other time, and so we're just, we, our church is just sort of walking through these passages of scripture that have to do with Lent, and what's cool is there are many other churches all around the U.S., all around the globe, and historically, who on this Sunday of Lent read the story about the woman at the well and Jesus' conversation with her. And so we're joining with lots of other Christ followers through history and and globally right now, just looking at this passage what does it mean for us? And so, like I said, this is like part, part two of last week. And last week, I, uh, you know, I, I, brought out, I brought out this illustration. Um, and uh, so if you missed it, you know, you're going to have to just get online and, uh, and look at it. But essentially, um, we're bringing out, we're bringing out the, the imposter again today because it fits into the conversation. Or in my case, it's the imposter, all right? Um, and... Uh, and here's what we essentially said last week with Nicodemus, is Nicodemus thinks that he can be loved by God if he just follows all the rules and does all the right things. And Nicodemus, he's a very religious man. He's an upright man. And he comes to Jesus and he's essentially, essentially, he says, he says, you know, God, um, I do all sorts of good things. Look at this. Look at the, Look at this goodness that I have. Can, I know you couldn't possibly love me, but could you love him? You, you'll love him, Right. And Jesus looks at that question and he says, Nicodemus, listen, listen, something's got to happen that hasn't happened in your life. I know you do a lot of good things, but you got to start from scratch. you got to be born again. And Jesus essentially says, "You got to come out from behind your impostor. You got to come out from behind your religiosity and, and your and your goodness as as good as goodness is." Jesus says, "Listen, you can also get lost in your goodness. I want you to get out from behind that and see that underneath all that is, I have to be what's mo- I have to be the one in control, not your ability to follow the rules." So that was last week, okay? But this week, Jesus approaches another person, and he has a similar conversation, but she is absolutely different than Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he's, he's well-known, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's got all sorts of good works under his belt, you know he's really um, connected to the community, but Jesus approaches this woman, and, uh, and she's very, very different than him. And so I'm excited because what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus is what he wants to say to some of us. What Jesus has to say to this woman at the well is what he would want to say to some of us as well um, very famous story Matthew Mark and Luke um, those are the very first three Gospels in the New Testament Matthew Mark Luke and then there's John and Matthew and Mark and Luke are, are often called uh, the like the theological term for it is they're called the synoptic Gospels and it's because they share a lot of similar stories. And uh, a lot, of, a lot of similar stories that are found in there. And then you have, and and it's probably because that they were written first. So a lot of scholars believe that that John was probably one of the last gospels that was that was written, um, and. Uh, and so I think kind of what happened is, you know, John's looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, you know, account, eyewitness account of what Jesus did. And John's like, okay, I know they handled, like, a lot of really good stuff, but I'm going to be, like, the bonus features on the DVD, you know? Like, my gospel is I'm going to cover some of the blooper reel. I'm going to cover some of the deleted scenes. I'm going to cover some with some director's commentary, you know? John is kind of like, I'm going to just take a different approach with my conversation about who Jesus is. And so you'll notice when you read John, it just, it just reads completely different different than, than the other Gospels. And John tells us this story about the woman at the well that the other that the other uh, Gospels don't tell us. It's the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person that we have in all of Scripture is with this woman. This interaction that they have, it just lasts a, a whole chapter almost. Um, and it's so important. Um, it reads like a movie. It's fun because you kind of have to fill in the blanks. Like we're not given all the information that we wish we, wish we had about the situation. Um... Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And what we're going to find out in the course of this story is that here's a woman who's been married five times and the, the man that she's with right now is not her husband. Now, even in, in, in our world today, you know, that'd be like, whoa, five times, you know, it would kind of be like that even in our culture. Think about in, in their culture. I mean, she comes from a, from a smaller town. Everybody like does business with each other. I mean, she's got this past She's got this thing that's going on in her life that everybody probably knows about in the town, and uh, and this like stigma that's attached to it. Now, listen, why we don't? The text doesn't tell us why she's had five husbands. Okay, it doesn't tell us. Now, when I when, me growing up, whenever this passage would be preached, it would usually be preached in, with with the idea that she's probably this promiscuous woman that she's sort of been, she's you know was just left to these marriages to go be with other people. Now. The, the text doesn't tell us that might be the case. That might be the case. But there's some other things that could be happening here too that we don't know about. On, on one hand is maybe all of her husbands have died, which people would die a whole lot more back then and at younger ages, you know, just uh, for all sorts of reasons. And so perhaps she's had husbands that have died. And maybe she's not with, uh, maybe she's not married to the, to the guy she's with right now because he's looking at her like, I don't want to marry a black widow. <laughs> like, I don't want to die. <laughs> so we'll just keep this a little bit cash, you know, because uh, because uh, everybody who's married you in the past, it's not worked out well for them. You know, I, I don't know. Um, in those days, men could divorce women for all sorts of reasons. You could divorce women for, for little tiny reasons. Um, it wasn't God's heart and his creation for marriage, but that was the case. And so and so maybe maybe she's been married five times and all five times she's just been She's just been rejected. In that culture, for a woman, a woman would, would often get her identity, get her worth from her ability to be able to bear children. And so maybe she can't bear children. And maybe these husbands have come along and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe they didn't know about that. But maybe when they found out that she couldn't, they divorced her. We don't know. We don't know why. But here's what we do know. We know we know that she's thirsty. Not just thirsty for water. She, she's thirsty. Life has left her thirsty. She's been rejected. She's She just feels, who knows how, she, she feels lost. She's going out to this well, as we'll see, in the middle of the day when nobody else is probably going to be there. It's probably because she just doesn't want to see the stairs. She doesn't want to hear the back talk. She doesn't want to feel like just, she doesn't want to be ridiculed. She doesn't want to feel that. She just wants to escape it. Who knows? Who knows the reason why she's gone through five husbands and why she's not married to the one that she's with right now. But really, essentially, it it isn't necessary for us to know. What we're supposed to know is that here's this woman. She's desperate. She's thirsty for acceptance. She's thirsty for love. She's thirsty to be told that you matter. And Jesus meets her at the well. Um, I don't know what you believe about God. I don't know what, you know, what kind of church you were raised in, perhaps, or not. You know, maybe you're brand new to church. I don't know how you, how you think God views you. But if we were just to listen to this story, we're all going to get a major clue about how God views thirsty people, about how God views people who are just on the search, on the hunt for significance, for value, for dignity. We're going to find out a lot about what God thinks about people like us, people like this woman, if we read... If we read this passage, um, there's some history about the Samaritans that we got to know before we dive into the text, because as re- you'll see from the very beginning, that it's clear that Samaritans and Jewish people don't get along. I got a map for you right here, uh, just so you can see. It might be a little fuzzy, but you know, there's a couple of things. First, you'll notice Jerusalem down there. That's a really important, really important city. But then right in the middle, you have Samaria and you have this, this town Sikar. It's right there. And then you'll see right below, there's a triangle that says Mount Gerizim. And uh, so essentially what happened was this, is that a long, long time ago, like 900 B.C., um, Israel was like one country, but then it split into two. There was like a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And there was started to be some animosity there. Um, but then what happened was the, uh, the Assyrians came in around the year 700 B.C. Assyrians came in and conquered this middle area called Samaria. And they set up their capital city, capital city in Samaria. And, uh, and the, so the Assyrians are there and, the, you know, and all the, the Jewish people, sort of the, the Israelite people around, you know, they want to get the, the Assyrians out. And what the Assyrians would do, just like any invading country, is they would take some people and, and deport them back to their country. And, uh, and what happened for a lot of these people who stayed and a lot of the people who got sent away to Assyria is they, is, uh, they adopted new customs. They intermarried, you know, with, with some of the, the, the people that had, had taken them into captivity, um, but after the Assyrians sort of let, the, let those people go or after the Assyrians, you know, na- nations started to dwindle, those people came back. Those people came back. And so the Sumerians, they came back sort of to their home country there right in the middle in the, uh, in the teal color there. And they were like, hey, guys, we're back. <laughs> like, hey, can we, can we play? Can we join the party? Like, hey, can we come worship at the temple? And the people down in Jerusalem and the Jewish people around were like, no. No, 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 you, you don't belong here anymore. No, you've, you've sold out, you've given up, you've intermarried. No, no, you don't get to be a part of, uh, of, of, of our group anymore. You don't get to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And so the Samaritans were crushed by that. And so you know what their attitude was? Is they essentially said, well, fine, we don't need you guys. We're going to build our own temple, and we're going to worship in our own way. And so they built a temple right there on Mount Gerizim. That was their place to worship, Uh, These Samaritans. And so around the year 100 BC, what happens is the Jewish people, you know, the Israelite people, um, they, uh, they don't like that. They're frustrated that they built their own temple. So they send a team up to Mount Gerizim and they just like desecrate their temple. It's bad. That's like a really bad, like, like uh, you know, in high school when you uh, steal the mascot, you know, from the opposing team, all right? This is like times 100. This is really, really bad. And so do you know what the Samaritans did? Right around the time where Jesus was born, you know, the Samaritans sent a group of people down and they went into the temple in Jerusalem and they, they had dug up a whole bunch of graves and they scattered a whole bunch of people's dead, dead dry bones all over the temple. In Jerusalem to desecrate it oh yeah it's on it's on right now we got bad blood right it's like it's bad here there is tension and this is exactly the world that Jesus is walking around in right now I mean it's it's hot I mean the the Samaritans the Israelites no 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 they they just go around each other's countries they don't they don't intermix absolutely so here's what happens Here's what happens, John chapter 4, I'll start in verse 3. So he, that's Jesus, he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, which he didn't necessarily have to, he could have gone around, but he's going to just take a straight shot, all straight through, uh, straight through the Samaritan you know, country there. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph jacob's well was there and jesus tired as he was from the journey he sat down by the well and it was about noon okay this is actually a very famous place in fact i've got a picture of it it's still there it's a real place um they built a temple around it um so but you know and and maybe this well has gotten rebuilt over time but this right here this little sort of this little concrete thing right there um is the is the well is the well i always pictured it being like so much bigger you know like but it's just just a tiny little place and Jesus is there, and here's what happens. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. John loves to include little parentheticals, you know, just to make sure that we're all, all open to speed. And so he adds this into the text. The disciples weren't there. They had to go into town to get some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John reminds us, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's some things that are off right here in the story. First of all, she's out there at noon. This is not the time of the day when when the women would usually go out to draw water. They usually go earlier or later when it's cooler, not in the middle of the day. So here she is, she's alone. Maybe maybe she doesn't have any friends. Nobody wants to go with her to the well. Or maybe she's going at that time because she knows she's not going to see anybody because she doesn't want to see anyone. She just wants to hide, and here's Jesus, and she uh, automatically something's off. This 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 Israelite man is talking to me. I mean, she's taken aback. I mean, like the, even if he was a Samaritan man, like just like men and women sort of like talking in public, there was you know there was like some there was rules around that sort of stuff. But here's this here's this Israelite man, and he is talking to me, and she is just. Ast- um, and then let alone asking her for a drink. I mean, for a Jewish man and for a Samaritan woman to like, to like for, for him to put his lips to a Samaritan woman's jar to drink from, oh, scandal, scandalous. Jesus wasn't so much asking her, and you you guys know this. See, Jesus isn't so much asking her for a drink because he's thirsty, although he is. Jesus is trying to tell her something. Jesus right here is not just asking her for a drink. He's making a profound statement about how he views her. He says, you are worthy of dignity. You matter. You have value. You have worth. I mean, he is speaking right to this tender area in her life where she's wrestling with already. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water living water I love this it's so cryptic right it's cryptic um, it's inviting her to respond I mean Jesus is so good at this I mean all of his he's a brilliant conversationalist exactly what Jesus need to do with people no matter where they're at I mean Jesus is going to do it he just draws people out and listen he's kind of like he's drawn her out she, you know he wants her to ask a question back like living water what's this and that's exactly what happens she says this uh, she says, sir, the woman said, this is verse 11, um, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, and imagine he just points sort of down into the well or maybe he points into the jar you know, that she's holding. He says, anyone that drinks this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Splish, splash, right? (laughs) Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're thirsty, but there's a thirst in you that goes beyond the physical thirst. And I'm here, I'm here to talk to you about it. I'm here to offer you something that you don't have right now. I'm here to offer you something that you've been searching for. And I know that right now you're thirsty and you think that we're talking about water, but Jesus is like, if you only knew what I had to offer you, it would change your life. It would, it would so much so that you would stop looking to this and that to try to satisfy your thirst for acceptance and for love. He says, you could stop that search if you only knew who I am and what I'm offering you. Verse 15, the woman says to him, continues, she says, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep draw, uh, coming here to draw water. I have the feeling, I don't know, I'm just guessing. I don't think this woman, she's not stupid. She, she knows that Jesus isn't, she knows there's something going on. I mean, at this point, I think that she knows she's not, he, Jesus isn't talking about like physical water anymore. I mean, I think she just knows that this guy is different. And I need whatever he has to offer. Sir, give me this living water. So that I don't have to, so I don't have to come, just so I don't have to continue just hiding, and running away, just feeling like this all the time. A couple of things so far in the passage. Let's just pause for a second. A um, couple of things that I appreciate what Jesus is doing. First of all, um, he's got some finesse. All right, he's got some finesse with this woman. I love that about Jesus. If you'll notice from last week with Nicodemus. Um, Jesus lets Nicodemus say like two things. <laughs> and Jesus just goes right into teaching mode with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher. So Jesus is like, all right, um, I'm going to teach you, Nicodemus. But with this woman is different. I mean, he's just, he's drawn, he's got to take a different approach. He can't just, he can't just like lead in with teaching, right? She's not going to listen to what he says if he just leads in with teaching. I'm here to teach you stuff right? Um, This is really good instructive for us as Christians, because sometimes as Christians, when we're trying to talk to others, sometimes we lead with the wrong thing. Sometimes we lead with like, stop that or put that cigarette out or, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. You know, it's like, hey, just, you know, quit that and don't do that. You know, maybe we start with some of that stuff or like, hey, let me teach you some stuff. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus takes a different approach. He, He starts with dignity. He starts with, I see you. He starts with, he starts with, "Hey, let me ask you some some provocative questions." I love that. Next is, um, we I see that Jesus cares. I love this about Jesus. He cares. Um, he cares. Um, Jesus' earthly ministry where he's like doing miracles and walking around preaching and stuff lasted about three years, okay? So for, uh, for, the, for any business people in the room, like if you're, gonna, if you're the Messiah and you're here to save the world and you have three years, taking like a detour through Samaria, Samaria to talk with one woman at a well is a really big like waste of resources. You know what I mean? It's just, like, it's just like, Jesus, you have a lot to do. You have a lot going on. Like you need to get to the crowds, you know? But Jesus doesn't think like us. I mean, Jesus, he's here because he knows this woman is gonna be here. And he's there because he's the savior of the world and he cares. Sure, the crowds are there, but I'm gonna to talk to this woman because I see this woman, because this woman matters, because I care. Um, the other thing I love is that Jesus breaks through barriers. To get to us. Jesus is breaking through all kinds of barriers right now. He's breaking through religious barriers and economic barriers and and cultural barriers and gender barriers. I mean, Jesus is breaking through all sorts of barriers. Why? Because he sees this person because they matter. Um, That's exactly what God did for all of us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God breaking through any barrier he can to come be with us. It's also instructive for us as Christ followers when we think about the world we live in and, and this great opportunity we have to help people see Jesus. Are we willing, are we willing to walk, through, to, to bust through barriers, to break down anything we can so that we can get to people who God loves so much? The, other, the last thing that I love about this so far is that uh, you never know when and where Jesus is going to meet you. <laughs> This conversation that she's having with Jesus is the last conversation she thought she would ever be having today, right? Here's this guy and he's just he's at this normal place that she comes to every day. He's at the well. And that's exactly where he wants To meet her. I just love this about Jesus because I've seen this in my own life, that we tend to think that the time where we're going to meet Jesus is between, you know, 9.15 and 10.30 on Sunday morning, right? It's like, that's when we're going to meet Jesus. But like, how many of us know that there's sometimes there's like Saturday night Jesus? Has anybody anybody ever like experienced Saturday night Jesus? Or, uh, you know, or Monday morning Jesus? I love Monday morning Jesus. You know, you just walk into work and it's like, He's, he's working on you. Or like what about vacation Jesus, you know? Or like work trip Jesus, you know? I mean, Jesus, the thing is, is Jesus, I mean, when we gather on Sundays, this is a beautiful time and we're here together, but Jesus is not confined to the time and the walls of, of our church, amen? right? I mean, he's everywhere. He's just hes just going to meet us no matter where. And so I love thinking about that because sometimes I'll just be like at a gas station or just like off somewhere and you just never know when God's going to just speak to you. I'll be watching a movie and like have this like Oh, like God, you know, God's just showing me stuff or, you know, or God just, he's got something for me to do or somebody to talk to that I wasn't planning on. But it's because um, Jesus always shows up where you least expect it. That's what's happening here. And then let's go on with the story. Jesus does the strangest thing in the story here. Jesus just like, like, God, Jesus, I wish I was there to help Jesus, you know? Like, I wish I could have been there to help him out because he just, Jesus screws the whole thing up. Jesus screws the whole thing up. I mean, he's like, he's got her right there. He's like, I got living water. She's like, give me this living water. And it's almost like, all right, then just give her the living water, yo. You know, like just give it to her. She's asking for it. She raised her hand. She's in the front, you know, during summer camp. She's like right there. And it's like, Jesus, just like give her the living water. And then, but he, he just messes it all up. You know what he asks? He, he says this. He says, he says, go call your husband and come back. Go call, my, go call your husband? Jesus, why, why would you do this? I mean, it just seems like, it seems kind of cruel, actually. It just seem, sort of seems like, Jesus, you're like bringing up the very thing that she's here to forget. You're bringing up the very thing that she's here to just to try to avoid. I mean, you're like asking a question that's just going right to her deepest wound and pain and frustration and, and insecurities. Jesus, why, why are you doing this? such an awkward awkward question. I mean if you're uh, you can all agree if you're trying to win converts you, you should, like, shouldn't ask questions like this. But Jesus in his in his brilliance and in his great love he boldly asks this penetrating question. This awkward question. Go call your husband and come back. Here's what he says. She says she says I have no husband. She replied And then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus knows. I mean, he's reading her mail. I mean, you can just imagine her face. Can you? Can you imagine her face? Like maybe her heart sinking right now. Like, hey, this guy is like talking to me, and I've got that, and he's going to give me living water. And then, oh, he knows. Just imagine just, oh, I mean, just what she's feeling right here. I mean, it's just hard for us to imagine what's going on. What is, what is going on? What is Jesus doing here? What is he hoping to accomplish? Why does he make her feel so uncomfortable? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is exactly what he wants to do with us here today. What Jesus is doing here is exactly what he wants to do with all of us. Because what Jesus is doing right here is he's, he's putting her in touch with her real thirst. He's putting her in touch with, 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 with reality. He's just, he's just honestly and tenderly. He is he's just helping her just get to a point where, he can, where, she, where she can open up her eyes to like what's truly going on. No more hiding, no more pretending, no more, no more running, no more avoiding. I mean, Jesus is essentially sitting here and he's, and he's saying, look, look, you've gotten really good at avoiding. You've gotten really good at going from this to this to this and just maybe not grieving or, or not assessing why you're doing some of the things that you're doing. But I love you. And I'm here to meet with you. And I love you enough to to ask you a difficult question and just put you in touch with just some of those wounds and some of those hurts. He He says, listen, I want to put you in touch with what you're truly thirsting for. With what you're truly thirsting for. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's understanding something that we all understand is that when you're trying to heal something, when you're trying to clean something, when you're trying to address something, you can't do it when you're pretending about it. You can't do that when you're avoiding it. My wife is, we're going to have another baby here in June, you know. And, um, um, you know, it's going to be wild. There's going to be four, four kids. It's going to be great. And... Um, And she's super in nesting mode right now. You know what I mean? Like I'll come home and the the couch will be in a completely different place, you know, and there's like different artwork up on the walls. It's like, whoa, you know, she's just, just, the whole house is just getting cleaned. Every closet, you know, pulled out. It's, It's pretty fun. You know, it's like spring cleaning. Um, for us at the Rice House. And one of the things that happens when you clean, especially when you deep clean, anybody here love to deep clean your house? I mean, you don't love it, but you like it. You don't like it, but when you're doing it, you're loving it, right? And especially when it's over, right? Come on, I need to see the deep cleaners. Okay, yeah, yeah, deep clean. You know when you deep clean, you, know, you, you have to have some uncomfortable moments. It's that moment when you pull out the dryer or the washer and look behind it. Ugh, I hate that moment, right? That moment, That moment when you pull out the refrigerator, You know that moment you look underneath or like that moment where you pull the couch out and you see like all the like Cheetos and the like the bits of food that have fallen through the cushions. I mean, it's disgusting. And you look at yourself like, I'm, I'm a disgusting human being. (laughs) Who are we? Like we are so gross, you know? And when you clean something, isn't it true that it kind of gets worse before it gets better? Isn't that true? like your house is like just crazy because you pulled it all out but it's because you're going to sort through it and you're going to you're going to get rid of the stuff you don't need you're going to you're going to Marie Kondo it you know you're going to like put it all you're going to like does this spark joy and then you're going to like you know put things away and you're going to get it all clean but it gets worse before it gets better and this is the part that's like getting worse before it gets better for this woman I mean she's just like oh her heart's sinking but Jesus knows exactly what she's what what he's doing he knows exactly what she needs he says, listen, if we're going to get to the bottom of this, if there's going to be any healing at all, then we got to just get it out. Then we have to acknowledge it. We have to just push it out into this. And I know it's uncomfortable, but we got to look at it. we got to get eyes on it. we got to see it for what it is so that I can heal it. This is Jesus loving this woman, and Jesus' healing power can, is coming. But, it can't, but Jesus can't heal what the person that we're pretending to be. And so this is, this is, you know, comes into play because here's this woman and she's like, she's like, the real me, I, I'm unlovable. I'm going to just do, a, I'm going to avoid all the issues. And so she hides. She creates an imposter. She goes out to the well at times where nobody's going to be there. It's like, it's like, you know, somebody asks, hey, woman at the well, how are you doing? Like, or when somebody asks you sometimes, you know, like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, I'm good. I'm fine. Oh, everything's good here. When it's not, when maybe it's not good. But we don't want to, we don't want to deal with it. I don't want to feel it again. I don't want to go, I don't want I don't want to have to deal with that. So it's just so much easier to hide behind the imposter. And Jesus in this moment is saying, He says, you don't need this. You don't need to pretend. (laughs) Isn't it crazy that Jesus knows already? He knows her whole story. And still he leads with dignity. He leads with questions. He loves her. He's drawing her out. He just wants her to to address it. Because life has left her thirsty. She's looked everywhere to try to fill that thing in her. She's parched. And Jesus says, will you just... Will you just stop? Will you stop trying to fill that thirst with, with just stuff that won't satisfy? Is, is God, hey, everybody look at me. Is God, is God asking you that same question today? What are you running from? What things are you hiding that you just, that the reason why you're still dealing with it is because you haven't been honest with it. It hasn't gotten out into the light. And so you're, you're just not getting healed from it. And we can shake our fist at God and get angry, you know, like, God, why aren't you healing it? And it's like, God's like, man, I want to heal it. But will you, will, you, will you be honest about it? Will you let it out? Isn't it true that some of the worst, darkest moments of our lives, the darkest seasons of our lives have been when we've got, when we, we've got this thirst in us for acceptance and love and we've got this thirst, but we go to all the, we're looking for love in all the wrong places where we just try to quench our thirst with things that just won't satisfy. Bad, you know. Of course, there's the obvious things like the alcohol and the pornography, and there's you know, and like just working harder, and, we're, and the money is going to do it. And we just our lives just go to those places because it's going to satisfy, but it but it doesn't. But even good things, even the best things, isn't going to satisfy. That thirst in us, and here's, and then we'll just we'll just keep ruining our lives and ruining our families, and just and just things are crumbling down because we're just we're, we think that sand is going to quench our thirst, and here comes Jesus to the well. And Jesus says, "Oh man, you don't have to do that anymore. I've got something better. I can give you living water. If you can just look, look to me, look at me." You know the word that we, that, you know, Christians have used for centuries for this whole thing I'm talking about? It's this, it's this word up here. Confession. It's a word we don't use that often. It's a scary word, isn't it? When you picture confession, you think of like, you know, Catholic people like in the confession booth, perhaps. You know, when you think confession, when I think confession, we often think like, guilt and shame and like we're going to confess our stuff and it just feels, so, you know, icky and so no, no thank you. But you know what Jesus is just hoping and praying that, that we do today in our lives? That we just learn how to do every day of our lives? is exactly what he's asking this woman to do. He says, please just, just tell the truth. Just let it out. Let me heal it. Confession. A beautiful, beautiful practice that Christians have been engaging in for centuries that we have often lost. And and, you know, in churches like ours, confession, what is that about? This is what it's about. This is what it's about. I gotta finish. And the story continues, um, and it's really funny what happens. Basically, she does what we often do, Here's what happens in the text. It's just so perfect because it's so human because it's so me and it's so you. You know know what she does? This is such an awkward conversation that she just she tries to change the subject. I love a good misdirect, you know, she just changes the subject and she changes the subject to like a beefy theological discussion. (laughs) It's like, oh, you almost got me there, Jesus. Like you got close. Like, okay, go call my husband. Like, oh, that's that's the part I'm trying to I don't want to talk about that. So let's talk about like theology. You know, let's talk about end time stuff. You know, let's talk about, I mean, we just, we are so good at just changing the subject too close. Jesus, oh, you, you just missed me, but I can just stay in my little bubble. Just get into some theological conversations. This is what she does. And so, you know, she, she continues. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. This is verse 19. Um, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then she starts asking a question about where they should worship and all this. And, and Jesus just goes there with her. He, he, he has this theological conversation with her, but he's not done with her yet. He, she says this. I oh, will skip a little bit. This is verse 25. She says, and you can read that part on your own. She says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And it's almost like Jesus like sat, back, you know, sat back and he looked at the chessboard And he said, checkmate. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's me. It's me. I'm the Messiah. She suddenly realizes, her eyes are open. She realizes that he really does have living water. And if this really is the Messiah, then he really does see me and he does care about me. And then the story goes on. And I've got to end it here because I want to finish I want to finish by singing an an old hymn I think maybe my favorite old hymn um, it's called I surrender all we're gonna sing it this morning together Um, essentially what happens is she goes back to her to her town and she says you guys have to come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did and everybody in the town is probably thinking like everybody knows everything you ever did you know (laughs) But she says, listen, I don't have all the answers, but you just got to come and see. And so they come and see. And Jesus spends the next two days in Samaria just teaching. And you know what's so cool how it ends? It's a, the people say this. The people say, hey, we didn't believe you at first because we didn't know if we can tr- trust you, uh, Samaritan woman. But w- we came out to see for ourselves, and now we know. We've seen for ourselves that this truly is the Savior of the world. Maybe you need to meet Jesus at the well this morning. Maybe you need to just be honest with the Lord this morning. Maybe as we sing this song, just I surrender all, there just might be a conversation that you've need, you need to have with God that you've been avoiding. There's this area of your life, maybe not, maybe not even a decision that you've made. Maybe, maybe you've been hurt by other decisions that other people have made, but it's this wound, it's this pain, and it hasn't gotten healed because it hasn't gotten addressed would you have the courage to just let jesus ask those questions of you would you would you open it up would you would you just let the light shine in on it whatever you're using whatever you're using whether it's drugs or alcohol or work or chocolate cake or good grades whatever it is that you're using to try to just keep control would you just let that let jesus just shine his light on it